always knew the Mississippi River was a great geological boundary, but I didn't know it was the boundary of the country there. The, uh, but uh, about 20 years ago today, or not today, uh, about a couple of months ago, was the first time I met Tony. He came to uh, Memphis, to the Memphis School of Preaching Lectureship, and at the time I was a student, and uh, he looked me up because this congregation was uh, supporting me while I was there. We went to, uh, I bet you wouldn't guess what kind of restaurant we went to in Memphis. It was a barbecue place on American Way. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it was a pretty good place. And that's when I first met Tony. And lo and behold, uh, 20-something years later, I have gotten to know so many of you here at the Bobby Branch Congregation. We're going to know you and love you and appreciate you so much. There are several who are in the audience who are either current students or former students, and you all know how much I love and care for you, and have gotten to know so many of the families here. And, of course, there are a few families that are present here that uh, a time or two have suffered through my preaching over at Mount Leo, and so I'm uh, surprised you're here tonight. But, uh, the, uh, but anyway, I'm glad you're here. The text that we... Uh, listened to as it was read to us a while ago from John 18 is a text that is in the setting of the crucifixion or the arrest and the trial and the scourging and ultimately crucifixion and death of Christ. And Christ was brought before the highest authority in the land. And in the verse that the brother uh, read to us a while ago, verse 38 in the previous verse in verse 37, Jesus said that uh, his purpose and coming to this world was to establish the kingdom of God and to make known the will of, of God to all of mankind. And he says this is of a truth. And that's why Pilate asked the question, well, what is truth? And some 2,000 years later, we find ourselves coming full circle because the great majority of our culture, our society, is asking the same question. When we think about the subject of truth, it is interesting to note that with the recent surveys over the last few years, the uh, uh, studies that have been accomplished, and some of them as much as two-thirds of our population here in the United States of America, a supposed Christian nation, and that would include the southern United States, the Bible Belt of the United States, there are people who are calling into question the possibility of knowing what truth is. Now, why would that be of importance to you and I? Well, we are all under the same divine orders that were given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For example, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and Mark 16, verses 15 through 16, and that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to teach them, those that would give us the opportunity what God's will is for them. And in teaching them what God's will is for them, we have to be able to discuss with them things that are true and things that are false. For example, the last opportunity I had to speak here at this building, my good friend Shane decided that he would uh, fill the pew with a group of people to whom I was preaching about. Uh, it was uh, during the time that year you had the... Uh, Christianity versus Summer Series, and uh, my particular topic that I was speaking on, he brought a bunch of people who were from there, and it was some of the same people that he and I had been studying with for a couple of months about uh, things of concerning what they believe and teach and 
what the Bible states and how what they are teaching squares with the Bible and things of that nature. And something he and I both learned with that particular group is, is that when it comes to truth, uh, well, what their version or their, their definition of truth was versus what the Bible has to say were two different things. And so I don't know if, uh, I, I didn't see if Shane was in the audience tonight or not, but I don't know, he may have brought some agnostics tonight to hear me. But uh, so be it if he did. But uh, if, uh, if you and I are to engage in our culture, the people that we live next door to, the people that we work with, even our own family members, my family, for example, is not immune to this. I have members of my own family that question what truth is and whether or not the Bible is true and things of that nature. And that's the kind of environment that we are being thrust into. You know, when I was in my teenage years and growing up as a young man, uh, all that I needed to know was be able to uh, know how to refute Calvinism or to be able to how to refute Wesleyanism or Pentecostalism and, and things of that nature. There was no one in the small town of Bay, Arkansas, who was bold enough to profess that the Bible wasn't true or that they didn't believe in God because they knew that they would be ostracized from our little community and they'd have to move out. And so I never experienced that until the time that I got brave and joined the Air Force and was thrust into a flight. With uh, There were three of us from Arkansas, and everybody else in that 60-member flight were from two cities, Detroit, Michigan, and New York City. Now, I stand before you to tell you that those people weren't right in the head. Uh, there is no doubt about it. I got an education about the world concerning those people, and I learned some things that just blew my mind away. I was used to Little Bay, Arkansas, where everybody was pretty much on the same page. And then I got thrust into a different environment where people didn't even believe in the Bible. And you talk about making your head spin. It did mine. Well, it has compounded itself. And I always try to tell my students when they get ready to go off into college, that they may or may not, most likely will, encounter uh, individuals, whether they are professors or fellow students, but they will be thrust into an environment where people will ridicule and call into question their degree of faithfulness to, to Christian standards. And you and I are now starting to experience that in our everyday setting. So that's why we need to ask the question of what is true because it's not so important to be able to know what, uh, what truth is, but you and I also need to know where our audience is at and how to relate to them. And that's going to be my primary purpose this evening as we look at this subject. Now, when we talk about the, uh, the effects of our society, let me give you a, an illustration from, from Hollywood, a movie that came out in the past. It was the movie Contact. Maybe some of you saw it. Some of you, some of you didn't. And it starred, among other people, Jodie Foster. And supposedly she was uh, had contact with alien life, and she was summoned before Congress in the movie now to give a, a testimony to the things that were, what she was claiming. And I want to read to you some quotes uh, from this character that she played in the... Uh, in that movie, she said the following, I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't explain it. 
But yet in the movie, she went on to affirm that she knew for a fact that there was alien life somewhere out there. Now, you and I are not here to talk about whether or not there are people on Mars or not. But that mindset of the character that she portrayed accurately reflects the people that we encounter today. They have a mindset, and they are not interested in truth. They might tell you that they've had a religious experience, and they can't explain it. They may tell you that uh, they can't prove it, but they feel it in their heart, and therefore they're going to believe it. Not long ago, I got a a call from a uh, dear friend uh, of mine, a brother uh, and sister in Christ, a family member was uh, being swept up into a false teaching, and they were asking for advice on how to deal with it. And the bottom line, it boiled down to this. What they were dealing with was people who had the mindset that they didn't care about absolute truth. All that they were interested in or concerned about is what they felt in between their breastplate, what they, that fuzzy feeling they might have or that lump in their throat. There was no, they were not interested in proof and facts and things of that nature, and they were asking me how to deal with such people. Well, that's the kind of people that you and I are facing or are going to have to face. Now, what I'm trying to articulate to you, if you have not already figured out, is that we as a people, in this country, in the so-called Western world, are going through a sifting. Now, some of you in the younger uh, ages of this audience, you might not understand what that is, but some of the older people do. How many of you can remember in your home or in your grandmother's home or your mother's home, there was a round, usually silver can that had a handle on it that you squeezed and you put the flour in it and you would sift it so that it would be able to be used for cooking purposes. Well, our society is going through a sifting. And I don't know how it's going to turn out once this sifting is finished. I don't know what the horizon's going to look like. But I do understand, and I am intelligent enough to realize, that we're not in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s anymore. We're in 2013. And it's not enough to be able to refute denominationalism with our neighbors and our family members and people that we talk with. Because now we've got to go another step with them and we've got to get them to the point where they understand what exactly truth is. And that's where we find ourselves. Now, before we can get to our subject, let me give you a mini version of uh, what, uh, what the answer to the question of what truth is from John 18 and verse 38. In John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth is something that is possible, but still we need to know what it is. And what it is is found in John 17, 17. In John 17, 17, it states where Jesus is praying to God, he says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. For our purposes, we need to understand some things. First of all, and it is, is that God's word is truth. Now, I can make that blanket statement. I don't have time to go into all the proofs that would demonstrate it, but I can make that statement with assurance because the facts bear it out. God's word is truth. And so that's our absolute standard. Now, as far as answering the question, we're finished. 
What is truth? God's Word. Job done. However, we need to be able to articulate that to everybody that we come across. And hopefully some of the things that we notice will be uh, uh, of importance to us in doing that. Before we can make some application to it, we need to look at some fundamental basics about truth. First of all, let's look at the nature of truth. When we're in a discussion about truth, specifically religious truth, we are not interested in opinions. We are not interested in sincerity. Opinions can be proven to be true. Sincerity is fine as far as it goes. But without truth coupled, on its, uh, coupled with it, it's of no value to us. All that we're interested in is in truth. When I study with individuals about the Word of God, one of my first questions I always ask them or statements that I make to them is, is that I am convinced of, of what I believe. I believe it to be true. And I always make this proposition that if you can demonstrate to me that what I believe in is not true, then I make a pledge to you that I will repent of that and change my ways. And then I ask them to do the same thing. Will you, if I demonstrate to you what you're believing in is not true, it does not meet the definition of truth concerning God's Word, will you repent of that and change your ways? Now, if somebody says, no, I'm not going to do that, then there's no sense in going any further because that's not an honest-hearted individual. But what we're interested in doing is reaching the honest-hearted individuals. And so I would encourage you to remember that and to think about the nature of truth. There are two possibilities when it comes to truth. One, it is true. Secondly, it is not true. Take note, I did not say it's not, it is false. What, for our discussion, we want to know, we want to hammer in on the fact, is it true or is it not true? That's all that we're interested in. When somebody says, well, the Bible says this, then we ask the question, is it true or is it not true? And we open, we, in keeping with 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, studying to show ourselves approved unto God, we open the pages of the Bible and we verify whether or not it is true. And so those are the first things that we need to establish when we're in this discussion. Is it true or is it not true? Now here's the problem. Many people in our society would affirm to us that the Bible is important, that Christianity has its benefits, but they would not say that it's true. There are individuals who would tell you that they respect you for your convictions, for your belief, and things of that nature. For example, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the Amish. I admire their work ethic and the things that they do but I don't believe what they uh, uh, practice concerning religion is true. Now, I don't mean that mean, uh, mean-spirited or unkind, but that's just a simple statement of the fact. I do not believe it to be true what they practice concerning their religion, but I do respect them. Well, a lot of people are like that way with us as Christians, people who claim to be agnostic. Now, there are two definitions you need to remember. An atheist is one who says, I know there is no God. That's the biggest fool in the world. Because in order to be an atheist, you'd have to know everything there is to know. You'd have to be everywhere there is to be at once. And that's simply impossible. No person can prove that there is an atheist. One of Brother Tony's uh, uh, teachers from years ago 
Uh, Brother Thomas Warren uh, had uh, two tremendous debates uh, years ago and demonstrated that with two noted uh, uh, atheists, so-called atheists of the day. And, uh, you know, as we would say in Arkansas, he made them look silly. The, uh, he showed that their position was unattainable. It was, it, they couldn't defend it. But an agnostic is a person who says, well, maybe it is true, maybe it is not true, I'm just not convinced, so I'm going to sit on the fence. That's what an agnostic is. And agnostics are people who, who try to have it both ways, and they try to, try to go, go in either direction, depending upon which, which way the wind's blowing. Now, when you're dealing with people who are like that, they uh, are the kind who would say, well, it's all right to be, to be a Christian. You know, you'll pay your taxes. You'll be a good neighbor and things of that nature. But I'm not going to buy that Christianity stuff. It's just not for me. Well, that's the kind of society that we are now living in. Even though it might make us better husbands and better wives and better, better citizens and things of that nature, they still don't want to do it because they are of the opinion that it's not proven to be true. Now, when we think about truth, we need to remember about the Bible. The Bible is the means by which God has communicated his will to mankind. There is no other avenue by which God has communicated his will to mankind. We can look out into nature and know that there is a God. We can study the human body and see the complexities of it and and, uh, and the amazing aspects of it, and know that there was a designer in things. But it doesn't reveal to us what God's will is for us individually. The Bible is the only place, or the only avenue by which that is accomplished. Therefore, it is important, it is essential, that we establish what is true and establish whether or not the Bible is true. Now, we need to remember, as I stated a while ago, we're not interested in opinions. Opinions, sincerity, intuition, whatever I think so, those are all fine and dandy around the kitchen table when we're discussing things with friends or something of that nature. But when it comes down to it, a matter of soul-saving facts, those things don't belong in the discussion. All that matters is truth. When it comes to the saving of the soul, it's not the gospel according to Lane or the gospel according to you. It's the gospel according to Jesus Christ. That's what we're interested in. Now, when we think about the uh, uh, aspects of, of whether or not uh, sincerity, opinions, and things of that are, are, are important, consider this, an Old Testament example. You have in 2 Samuel 6, in verses 6 and 7, a character by the name of Uzzah. For all practical purposes, all that we know, he was a, a decent man. He was a man who was just trying to do a good deed. They were moving the ark of God, and it was fixing to fall onto the ground off of the cart and be smashed to smithereens. It was going to be ruined. If any one of us had been in that situation, we probably would have done just like Uzzah. We would have reasoned in our mind, this is a holy thing of God. It can't touch the ground. I remember several years ago, I was a pallbearer at a funeral, and uh, we were going uphill carrying the casket on a rainy day, and it was slick and everything, and I was at the rear, and there was one other man on the other side. We were the two tallest, and 
There were shorter guys in front of us. And as they started up, the two guys in front of us on each side, they lost their footing and went down. He and I both made a split-second decision. We didn't want that coffin to touch the ground. And we changed our positions and grabbed hold of that and held that up to keep it from hitting the ground until those two men grabbed their, uh, uh, their footing, gained their footing, and were able to step up and help us. Well, Uzzah was in a similar situation. It was fixing to hit the ground. He stuck his hand out there to steady it, seemingly un, uh, a, uh, an action that would not be wrong, but God struck him dead on that very moment. Now, the reason why is because it was not in keeping with the truth of God's will revealed through the law of Moses on how to carry that ark. It's supposed to be a specific family. And it was supposed to be carried a specific way. It was never supposed to be on a cart. It was supposed to have two poles gone through the rings, carried on the shoulders of those men so that that situation would never happen. But they violated God's true standard of that and paid the penalty for it. Uzzah, as far as we know, was a sincere man, but he was wrong. And, of course, the New Testament example. We have Saul of Tarsus. We have his own words, his own admission. That what he did, he did with a clear conscience, and, and that is in persecuting the church. But he was sincerely wrong. So those are just two examples that demonstrate the uh, importance of understanding sincerity is as fine as, or as good as as far as it goes. But when it comes to matters of truth, it is insufficient. And so we're not interested in those things. When we think about the things of truth, we need to keep these preliminary things that I've mentioned in mind. And that is, all that we're interested in, is it true or is it not true? We're not, we're not concerned about the notoriety of the person who's doing the teaching or the speaking. We're not concerned about how close we may be to them, whether it's family ties, personal friendship, or anything of that nature. No doubt Uzzah on that day was in, had good relationship with the people who were with him, but yet he died. So we're not interested in those things. Is it true or is it not true? That's all that we want to know. When we think about the biblical words for the word truth, if you and I were in the first century and we were communicating with one another in the the uh, gospel according to John, for example, that was read uh, earlier, would be read, for example, to the church at Ephesus. And the Ephesian Christians would be assembled together and they would hear the man who would be reading it to him. He would be reading it in a language that they understood in that day. What they spoke was according to a Greek language. And there would be certain words that they would use. And when they would say those words, those people would get a mental picture or, or an understanding of what's what's being communicated to them. And the words for truth that are in our English version, as they were said to them in that day, have the following definitions. Something that is actual, true, or fact. Something that is denotes truth in the real sense. In other words, something is either true or it is not true. Now, when we think about the words that are used in the New Testament, there are several scriptures that we need to keep in mind when we begin our discussion of, 
of truth and what is true. When we're in our quest of determining what is truth, we need to remember the following things. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. God is a God of truth. In other words, there is nothing in him that is not true. Everything about God is true. And we need to remember that. That's in contrast to the idols that mankind worships and the uh, things that people follow after today. How many of you who have lived in this area all of your life would have thought 30 years ago that on Highway 8 up at the top of the mountain, there would come in a group that would be a group of pagans who would set up a compound out there for people to run around and practice their religion? You would have never thought it. If you would have asked me something like that would have happened in my county where I grew up, I would have said it would be over the dead bodies of the people that live here. And I imagine people would have thought the same thing back in the 60s and 70s in this area. But yet up on Highway 8, there is the Isha compound up there, and uh, those people worship something other than the God of the Bible. Paganism, heathenism, whatever you want to call it, is resurging in our society because people do not understand the concept that God is a God of truth. And therefore, all that matters is whether or not it is true or it is not true. We need to remember that Jesus is the truth. He is full of truth and that he spoke the truth as it is revealed in the New Testament. For example, in John 14, 6, the, uh, Jesus said he was the truth, the life, and the way. We need to make sure that people understand, those whom we interact with, the true nature and character of Jesus. If they fully understand that Jesus is the truth, the way, and the, and the life, then they will not be caught up or they will not uh, entertain the ideas of, well, I think uh, I'll just worship Jesus in my own way, and surely he'll accept that. Or they won't have the mentality of, well, you know, as one uh, deceased relative of mine said one time, well, Jesus and I have our own thing going. That was his response to my questions I was asking him about truth. You see, he couldn't establish his belief system and his way of life and, and base it upon the truth that is revealed in the will of God. So he had, to, he, he had one of two choices. Give up his wayward living and conform it to the way that is in the Bible or give up the Bible and keep his wayward living. Unfortunately, he died in a condition where he gave up the Bible. And his motto was, Jesus and I have our own thing going. Well, that doesn't meet the definition of truth as it is portrayed concerning Jesus in the pages of the New Testament. We need to remember also, as the verse that uh, I referenced a while ago in John 17 and verse 17, that God's word is truth. That is why we have such a rich heritage in the churches of Christ, that we take a stand. Why don't we throw the things that divide us, that is our society, the writings of men, because you could write a religious document, I could write a religious document, and somebody across town could write a religious document, and they'd all be about worth about the same because they came from human minds. But when we think about God's Word, it is true. God's worth it, word is true. 
And so therefore, we need to get that message out to, to those that we interact with. We need to remember, as is stated in Psalm 96 and verse 13, concerning the judgments of God. You know, the judgments of God are according to truth. So, if God says, as is recorded uh, by Jesus making the statement in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We learn from that passage that Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, divinely linked the act of baptism with the result of being saved. That's a true statement. And we, we walk away from that and other statements with an understanding that the judgments of God are according to truth. And that is of, of special importance on the day of judgment. When all of us stand before the judgment throne of God. Now it's not been revealed to us the logistics of how that's going to take place. I don't know if we're going to be in single file, four abreast, or if we're just going to be one big mob in front of the throne of God. But I do know this. We're going to be in, th in front of the throne of God. And we're going to have to give an account for the deeds that we've done in our mortal bodies. And the judgment that is going to be given on that day, well done thy faithful servant, or depart from me you workers of iniquity, is going to be established or based upon the principles of truth. I don't know about you, but that gives me encouragement. Because I don't have to worry about people's opinions and their emotions and their mood at the time or whatever that may be. All that I need to be concerned about is truth. That's the interesting thing about truth. Truth is not subject to emotions and whims and opinions and things of that nature. It stands alone as it is. We also need to remember that Christians should very patiently strive to teach truth to others. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verses 23 through 26. You and I are to be in the business of teaching the truth, which raises a question. Are you? There are two primary ways by which you teach truth to those around you. One, verbally by word of mouth. You teach them, you did do, for example, like what I did with Mark 16, 16 a while ago. You show them that baptism is linked to salvation, so therefore it's essential. Or you may be discussing about the church and how that God in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and following, established before the foundations of the world, he drew a boundary line and said those who are going to be saved are the ones who are going to be in Christ. So therefore we learn we've got to be in Christ's body. And why is that important? Or what significant would that be for us today? Well, if you go on to the end of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, you'll learn that Christ's body is the church. So therefore... People who say today the church is not important don't understand the importance of the true aspects of New Testament church, of New Testament Christianity. And let us not forget Acts 2 and verse 47 where uh, Luke, in describing the conclusion of the events on the day of Pentecost, it says, and God added unto the church daily such as should be saved. God puts the saved in the church. Now, when we're trying to communicate that with people, they've got to understand those important concepts about, about the church or about 
how to become a New Testament Christian or, or whatever the subject matter may be. And they need to understand that it is not based upon moods, emotions, whims, opinions, and whatever the culture may be thinking of the moment. It's based upon truth. When we think about truth, we need to remember that even though we may be insistent, we may be diligent and do everything to our utmost ability, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-4 through 4 reminds us there are some people who are going to turn away from truth. It's an unfortunate fact. That is true. You and I probably have had our fair share of watching people turn their back on the truth. Whether it's talking to someone who's living in a particular sinful uh, way or relationship, whatever it may be, you show them what the Bible has to say. They're sort of like that relative I mentioned to you a while ago. Once they see what God's will is for them, they have one or two choices, accept God's will and, and change their wayward life or not accept God's will and stay in their wayward life. Unfortunately, some people are hard-hearted enough they're going to stay in their wayward life. But we can't let them keep us from reaching out to others. The world needs to hear that God's word is true. In conclusion, what's the big deal about truth? I want to read to you a statement by a man of the late C.S. Lewis. For those of you who might know his philosophical writings and things of that nature, you might know him in another way. He was the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, the popular children's uh, books and, uh, and movies. He, uh, he wrote the following, and this was some time ago, but see if it aptly describes our culture. We are now getting to the point at which different beliefs about the universe lead to different behaviors. Religion involves a series of statements about facts which must be either true or false. If they are true, one set of conclusions will follow about the right sailing of the human fleet. If they are false, quite a different set. Years ago, that warning was sound. That if we, because of what's rising up about us, if we, as New Testament Christians, do not stand up and boldly proclaim what is true, then the human fleet, our society, is going to sail off in the wrong direction. And I stand before you to tell you and to remind you that's what the Bible calls a devil's hell. And we want to try to prevent as many people as possible from heading into that God-awful place. We need to remember that as we consider all of these things, hopefully what I presented to you tonight, you will understand truth matters. Truth does matter. Because your soul will either be saved or not saved based upon truth. Consider two examples, two, two of what's considered the three greatest sermons preached, recorded in the New Testament. Of course, the Sermon on the Mount by the Lord. Peter's sermon has been said his greatest sermon is the one that was on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem where he preached to the crowd that was gathered there. It was a group of Jews. And he began preaching to them where they were at spiritually. Those people believed in God. 
But they did not believe in Jesus of Nazareth that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he went back to Old Testament Scripture and established true principles to demonstrate that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul, Acts 17. He's on Mars Hill. It is said by those who, who uh, teach homiletics that that is Paul's greatest sermon as it is recorded in the New Testament. Paul has a group of people also, but they're not Jews. They're Gentiles. They're non-believers in God. They're pagans. They were worshiping idols. And where did Paul begin in his sermon? He went all the way back to Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he brought them to the point to where they would understand that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Two different apostles teaching the truth and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they were two entirely different sermons. And the reason for it was because of the difference of their audiences. If I were standing before a group of people who were like Paul's audience, who were pagans and non-believers, my message tonight would be different. I would have started at a different uh, point to get to where I'm at right now. You see, the difference is not only in the message that is being presented, but also in the position of where the audience is at that is listening to it. And brothers and sisters in Christ... Our audience is changing around us. And we need to be prepared to be able to establish the true aspects of the Word of God. I hope and pray that these things that have been presented tonight will at least cause you to think and spur you on to doing some more study on your own. I would encourage you to get with Brother Tony and uh, get some recommendations of him of some study aids and some things that will help you in this process of being able to reach out, and I hate to say it, that it's happening in our lifetime, but to a non-Christian audience because that's what we're dealing with. And I hope and pray that the uh, efforts that you put forth will be successful. Tonight's lesson has not been designed per se to cause you to get up off that pew and respond to the invitation of Christ. In just a few, these few moments left, I want to take an opportunity to try to encourage you concerning Christian living. In Hebrews 5 and verse 9, it says, He, referring to Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Jesus is the author of of eternal salvation, so therefore we need to heed or obey what He has commanded. John 8 and verse 24, We must believe that He is the Son of God or we will die in our sins. Luke 13, 3, We must repent or perish. Uh, Matthew uh, 10 and verse 32, We must confess or be denied. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, we must believe, uh, be, believe and be baptized in order to be saved. If you are here and you haven't obeyed the gospel by obeying those commands, this is the best time in your life to do it tonight. Obey the gospel and be counted among the redeemed and be able to walk out of this building headed toward heaven. I would venture to say that the vast majority of people here tonight have already taken those initial steps. Sometimes things come along. The burdens and cares of this world weigh us down. Sin comes back into our life. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're sitting here. What Your faith has been wavering. Whatever the case may be, but the bottom line is your relationship with God is not as it should be. 
The invitation song that we're going to sing is sung to encourage you to respond and be restored and be in a right relationship with God once again. If we can assist you in getting to heaven, please let it be made known as we stand and sing.